We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Kicks for Pace, presented by The Bear Report. Your number one source for Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Hosted by Alex Blevin and Andrew Freeman on Overtime Media. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by The Bear Report. My name is Andrew Freeman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alex Blethin. We are recording this episode on Monday, March 2nd, after the NFL Scouting Combine, which took place this past weekend in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, we have an exciting show ahead, but before digging into our main topics, Alex, I wanted to ask you, what were some of your general takeaways from what you saw at the Combine this past week? Um, I found out that my athleticism is closer to the 365-pound uh, Becton than it is the rest of those guys. It's, it's unbelievable how someone that big can move like that. And, you know, I just watched it, and I felt a lot – I felt like I related a lot more to Rich Eisen than I did these guys. <laughs> yeah, Rich Eisen, he ran a pretty good time in the 40-yard dash, I got to say. Uh, so, I mean, I, I don't even know if I could be on Becton's level in terms of the 40-yard dash. I can barely run a six-second 40-yard dash. And to think that a guy who's over 100 pounds heavier than me can run it a full second faster than me, that's just – that's crazy. Uh, it's amazing what these guys are capable of doing from an athletic standpoint. But also my quick takeaways for it were that kind of confirms – everything that we've been talking about on our podcast going into the combine, you know, the wide receiver position, it's stacked with a lot of very talented players. Uh, we saw that with the athletic testing, Henry Ruggs running a 4-2-8-40, I think it was, which is just ridiculous. Didn't quite come up to that John Ross level of 4.22, but uh, very close nonetheless. Uh, the, the offensive line class, like we already mentioned with Becton, but even Tristan Wirfs, who 
had a historic was unbelievable. Absolutely showed out. Uh, record break, I think broad jump was it? 11 foot, six inch broad jump or something like that. Just crazy. Uh, Tristan Wirfs, uh, absolutely killing it at the combine. Um, also, if you're looking to get a tight end early in this draft class, probably not the best draft to do it because I wasn't too impressed by any of the tight ends, even though our boy Adam Troutman had a very good six, uh, three cone time, uh, which was pretty impressive to say the least. Yeah, no, I, I felt like I was kind of alone in the down year for a tight end class, but you know, I think this combine showed a lot and while I do think there is a lot of depth to this class, I just don't think there's any players worth taking in that first 60 picks of the draft. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you hundred percent. So transitioning towards the topic for this episode, what we're going to be doing here is breaking down the quarterback and running back positions for the 2020 NFL draft. So this will be our first breakdown episode leading into the NFL draft on April 23rd, where basically we'll be covering every position and giving you guys our thoughts on our top five prospects at each position, sleepers to keep an eye out for, some prospects that we think are a little bit overrated uh, heading into this draft, and what the Bears' general strategy should be for addressing these particular positions as it pertains to this draft. So without our further ado, we're going to get things kicked off here by breaking down the quarterback position for the 2020 NFL Draft. But before doing that, we're going to take our first break of the show with a quick word from our sponsor. The Old West is an iconic period of American history. I'm Chris Wimmer. Join me on the Legends of the Old West podcast to hear the true stories of lawmen like Wyatt Earp, Bass Reeves, and the Texas Rangers, outlaws like Jesse James and Butch and Sundance, and Native American battles of the Lakota, Comanche, and Apache. We use cinematic storytelling and sound design to bring these stories and many more to life. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. So the first thing I think we should be discussing for this episode, Alex, will be the quarterback position, which is one of the biggest needs for the Bears in this upcoming offseason as a whole. Um, and, you know, as a whole... When you, break, when you broke down some of the players available in this upcoming draft, who are your top five at this position uh, for this upcoming year? Yeah, it's, it's kind of sad going through this because I do love some of these prospects, but I, none of the ones that I would like will be around when the, when the Bears are picking. So it was, it was a little bit of a tease doing this, but obviously you got to start off with number one, Joe Burrow. I mean, people have said enough about him, won the Heisman, won the national championship, but he just he has that leadership quality. He has a great pocket presence. He has the tools. I, I He's a lock for number one. Uh, next up is Tua, who I think would be a lock for two or three if he comes in completely healthy. If not, he could drop maybe to seven, but that's his, that's his floor unless the medicals are a huge red flag. I mean, people were saying he was going to be the number one pick before he went down with injury and before Joe really took off against the higher-end competition. So two is a special talent, too. He just has gotten hurt every year, so that is something that could be a little disconcerting for uh, NFL teams. Before then, I have a, a pretty large gap 
honestly. So those two, I think, are top 10 locks. They should be top five locks. Um, the next one I have at Herbert, who personally, if I was picking, I, I wouldn't take him in the top 15. I think he's big. He's got the skills. And he just he's just not – He's not a sexy draft pick to me. I don't know what his upside is. While he does have the frame to it, just watching him in the big games, even though he he came through and got the Rose Bowl win, he really didn't do any of it with his arm. He did it on his legs, which those legs aren't going to move it on the next level. He's just not a a next-level athlete. So I'm not sure he has what it takes to be a top-15 quarterback. And if if he's not capable of being the upper echelon at his position, I'm not, not sure I want to take him in the top 15 of an NFL draft. Uh, next up, similar status, I have Jordan Love. I think his ceiling is even higher than Herbert's, but his floor is much lower. So that's something that an NFL team would have to take a gamble on. I think it would be best for him to go to a team where he could sit two full seasons. I know most people want to just – have him sit one and play right after that. But I think he has a lot of tools he needs to develop. I think he needs to be a lot more comfortable in the NFL and reading more complex offenses and defenses. So I would put him down at four. Then I have another large gap. I wouldn't touch any of the other quarterbacks in the second round, but Jalen Hurts intrigues me in the third just because he does have that athleticism. He does have a solid arm. His accuracy is a question mark for me but maybe they could fix that with some better coaching. I'm not sure. So that's that's my top five and what I got going on. What about you? Yeah, I'm pretty much right there with you on your top four. Joe Burrow at number one, there really isn't much to say here. He's the best quarterback in this class. He's going to go number one overall to the Bengals. I think that's a done lock deal at this point. Number two, I have Tua as well. I think there would be a legitimate debate about who is the best quarterback in this class if it weren't for the injury concerns of Tua, because like you said, he's a very accurate passer. He's a very special talent, uh, you know, going into this past season. He was a lock, so to speak, as that number one overall pick. But that hip injury, while it seems like it's a very positive outlook at this point, uh, it's still going to be a concern, I think, for a lot of NFL GMs. And uh, it certainly is a concern for me, but he is my second quarterback in this class. And like you kind of alluded to, there is a bit of a gap for me as well between Tua and Burrow and the next couple quarterbacks in my top five, starting at number three. I have Justin Herbert as well. You know, I, I'm not really sold on him. Uh, he's got, like you said, he has the size. He has the arm. He kind of displayed all of those skill sets at the combine where he really lit it up in the throwing drills, I thought, especially once he, you know, they gave him the ability to start throwing, throwing some of those deep passes, those corner routes and those, those go routes. Uh, he looked very good and comfortable throwing those. But when I watch him, he just doesn't look very comfortable in terms of just having those playmaking instincts that you want. He looks very uh, kind of scripted in the way that he kind of operates. And, you know, we've kind of seen over the past few years with guys like Mahomes and Sean Watson that, you know, you want a guy with kind of that twitch, quick twitch ability to, you know, react to the pass rush and be able to make those guys miss in the pocket, extend plays with his legs, and then, make throws on the run, you know, that are on the money to receivers breaking open. And that's not really Justin Herbert's skills that he's, he's more of a, you know, he's got the athleticism to pick up some yards with his legs, but he's not a natural creator with his legs um, on, you know, on the scale of a burrow in his class or even a Jordan love in his class. He was my number four quarterback. And 
kind of a similar thing. You know, he's got a very high upside, but a very low floor, like you alluded to. You know, he's going to be a guy that is going to be, you know, his success in the NFL is very much going to be make or break based off of the situation that he goes in. If he goes to a spot like, you know, the Miami Dolphins, for instance, where he's probably going to have to play right away with a terrible offensive line and not a lot of weapons around him to really help elevate his game, he's going to struggle and struggle immensely because he's not ready yet to play right away. You know, I think the ideal situation would be to go to a team like the Indianapolis Colts, who have been rumored to be very high on him and are actually looking to possibly trade up for him in this draft uh, from their spot at 13, I think, is where, which is where their draft position is as of right now in the first round. You know, that would be a perfect situation for Love. He would get the chance to sit for a year behind either Brissett or maybe another veteran they bring in, such as a Philip Rivers, who is rumored to uh, have some interest in the Colts this upcoming offseason. Um, they have a great offensive line. They have some talented playmakers on the outside. You know, he would be a, a guy there where, you know, he can sit for a year, and then in his second season he could come into a good situation around him where, you know, he doesn't have to have all the pressure on him, and he can kind of just be that playmaker um, that was kind of his skill set in 2018 where, you know, he had a much better season uh, than this past year where he really struggled, I thought. And then like you alluded to, there's a big gap. Uh, between those top four guys, which I do think all four will go in the top ten. Uh, it's sounding like to me that – Wow, you think Love's going top ten? I think too. Love's going top ten, yeah. I think teams are going to fall in love with that upside. They're going to see him as kind of like this – almost like him a Mahomes-like with his ability to, you know, kind of make those off-platform throws and make plays on the move. You know, he's not as talented as Mahomes, in my opinion. Uh, not really even close. I mean, that's just a tough comparison to make at this point. but. I think teams are going to be looking for that next Mahomes, and they're going to see Jordan Love as kind of a similar in his play style. So I, I think he's going top 10. Um, that's just me, though. We, we'll see what happens on draft night. But uh, there's no way he gets out of the first round, I think. that That's for sure. Um, but my fifth guy, you know, it was tough for me. I didn't really – it was tough. I couldn't really figure out, uh, you know, who's going to be my fifth guy for a while because I just don't – love any of the these other quarterbacks especially when it comes to taking these guys early in the first two days of the draft I mean there are significant flaws I think in all these quarterbacks once you get once you get past the top four in this class and even you know past the top two in this class there are some significant flaws with Herbert and Love that is kind of tough for me to overlook as top prospects in this class but I ended up deciding to go with Jacob Eason as my number five quarterback in this draft and it's mostly just because he has the high upside, in my opinion, compared to the other available quarterbacks with his size, with his arm talent. Um, you know, I'm not in love with him as a prospect. I, I don't think he should, he should definitely not, he should not go first round, which he's getting some first round buzz like we talked about a little bit last week. To me, that's crazy. He should not go in the first round. But I think just on the upside alone, he's going to have to be my number five quarterback um, in this process. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I think I think all the top four are locks to go in the first round, and I, I don't think there's a quarterback that deserves to go in the second round after that. Personally, but Eason, Eason, people are gonna like that upside, and uh, I've seen him linked to the Bears in a lot of mock drafts, and that's something I hope to avoid. But that's something that I could definitely see happening. Yeah, let's let's hope that doesn't happen. I do not want to see that. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, definitely. Um, 
So speaking of our top five quarterbacks and moving on there, uh, I wanted to transition to our sleeper picks at the quarterback position. I'll start off with mine. Uh, my sleeper in this draft is Phil McDonald out of Hawaii. Uh, to me, you know, he's kind of like the Jameis Winston of college football uh, the past couple of years. You know, he's a guy that will make three or four special throws a game, but he'll often make up for it by making four or five really boneheaded decisions that will lead to turnovers. And, you know, he, he's a, a definitely a roller coaster to watch because he makes a lot of really impressive throws out there deep down the field. But there, there's just as many plays where you just have to sit there and, and say, you know, what was this guy thinking? You know, he's very inconsistent, but he has good size at six foot three, 215 pounds. He's got good athleticism. He's got enough arm talent to make all the throws in the NFL. Uh, he's just a guy that coming from a spread system where he was asked to throw the ball quite a bit, you know, very raw, very much a project at the next level. He's going to need two or three years to kind of iron out his fundamentals, his throwing motion, which is very long and just kind of takes a while for him to get the ball out of his hands. Um, you know, the footwork's kind of a mess. Uh, just all, all, all these little things, you know, anticipating windows, anticipating receivers getting open. That's just not his game right now, but he's got all the tools that you could want from a developmental prospect. So I wouldn't mind the bears in this instance, taking a flyer on him in the sixth or seventh round, you know, he completed nearly 62% of his passes in college for over 8,000 yards, eight yards in attempt, 70 touchdowns and 24 interceptions for his career at Hawaii. So like the production there, it's just a matter of getting him in a situation to where he can develop and maybe be kind of like that Nick Foles type of backup quarterback to where he's not going to be a guy that you can rely on to be a starter over a 16-game season. But if your starting quarterback does go down with an injury or is not playing well, uh, he can come in for a stretch of games and put up some numbers and play some exciting football um, for a few games and win you some games here and there. So that's kind of where I see Cole McDonald, you know, kind of a boomer bust type of player, but in the sixth or seventh round, you know, we'll definitely take a chance on a guy like that. No, oh, yeah, I I think that uh, boomer bust player in the sixth or seventh round, that's, that's something that you'd love to take. And, you know, worst case scenario, he's a quarterback three on the practice squad, which I I think we'd take that, especially with McDonald. He's, as you said earlier, makes some special throws and, that's something that maybe we could find a little bit of a diamond in the rough there. Uh, my sleeper candidate is Kelly Bryant. Um, he's definitely not a starter in the NFL, but in round seven, he's a nice project backup, has a lot of athleticism. You know, he could, he could be a good quarterback three, help with the practice squad, help the team game plan and get ready for some of these more mobile quarterbacks. And then also, as a backup, when a quarterback goes down, it's easier to step in because you're when you step into an offense, you're likely going to go into a more simplified version of it. It's easier to do that when you have some athleticism and it gives the gives the OC a little bit of flexibility. Um, but yeah, his career numbers: 65% completion, 7.3 yards per attempt. He's 6'4", 225. And he, I mean, he took Clemson to a college football playoff in his first time, first year starting. So while he did lose a starting job, he lost his starting job to Trevor Lawrence. So that's not something I'm going to count as a knock against him. I think if he, if Trevor Lawrence decided to go somewhere other than Clemson, 
maybe he would have taken that next step with Dabo. Maybe he would uh, win a national championship, but he definitely would be back in the CFP. And I think he's, I think he's an athletic quarterback with a, with a good, good chance to have a long NFL career as a backup quarterback. Yeah, definitely. I think for, you know, like you said, you know, he's not a guy who's going to be a starter necessarily, but in the sixth or seventh round, you know, you're not really looking for a guy to be a starting quarterback anyway. You want to find a developmental player to be a backup quarterback. And if you can find that in the seventh round, that's a really good pick for you because, you know, you're looking at special team practice squad depth anyway at that spot in the seventh round. So, you know, why not take a guy who could be your potential long-term backup? That would be a pretty good investment for a team like the Bears who, you know, we, there's really a lot of uncertainty about who's, who's even going to be their starter next season, you know, let alone who's going to be the backup long-term for this team. So getting a guy like Kelly Bryant to maybe be on the practice squad for a year or two, develop his game a little bit in Nagy's offense, and then maybe be the backup quarterback for the next, I don't know, three or four years or so behind a more established starter hopefully at that point. Uh, that would be a pretty good investment, I think, at that quarterback spot. Um, transitioning from our sleepers in this draft, who is one player that you think is getting a little bit too much hype as somebody who you know, may go a round or two higher than you think they should in this class? Yeah, uh, I kind of touched on him a little bit earlier, but Jacob Eason, um, I've been hearing, reading uh, a lot of – end of the first round, early second round grades for Eason. And as I mentioned last week, uh, a couple front office execs were saying that they expect that Eason is going to leave the combine as a top 20 pick. And that's, that's something that I don't feel comfortable coming near. I think he's more of a third round candidate. So he's definitely my overrated. I get his upside. His ceiling is unbelievably high, but with what I've seen in him, it, it'll be a while before he, he sniffs a, a ceiling. Yeah, the only reason I really didn't have Jacob Eason as my overrated player in this class is because, like I already mentioned before, he's one of my top five quarterbacks. And while I think you could definitely make the argument that, that he can be a top five quarterback and overrated at the same time, which I definitely think is a valid point, um, to me, he's not as overrated as the player I'll be talking about, uh, which is Jake Fromm out of Georgia. And as I said last week, you know, he's kind of like the Alex Smith of college football. He's the exact opposite of a Cole McDonald. He's going to throw it all over the yard, and that might lead to some really impressive throws, but also to a lot of really bad turnovers. Jake Fromm's the exact opposite, where he's going to play it safe, and he's going to play within the confines of the system and let the other players around him uh, carry him to success. You know, he's a very smart player overall. I'm sure he's going to impress a lot of teams in these meetings coming up in the next couple months on the on the whiteboard, going over plays and concepts. And also, it was probably going to be very impressive as in terms of his personality and intangible leadership qualities, which shown through at Georgia. But, you know, even though he won a lot of games in college as a freshman starter and in the preceding two seasons following that, you know, a lot of that was because of the talent surrounding him. He was never the guy that was the reason why Georgia was winning games. He was always, I wouldn't say along for the ride, but he was more of a caretaker for that team, you know, in that sense. You know, he doesn't really have the strongest arm. He's not a great athlete. He's got very inconsistent accuracy. And if you're not going to have the strongest arm in the world, that's a big concern for me. If you're not able to make 
all the throws accurately on a consistent basis, that's a big turnoff for me if you don't have that upside with your arm talents. You know, you know, for example, Joe Burrow, I think, doesn't really have that great of an arm. In fact, you can make an argument that Jake Fromm has a stronger arm than Joe Burrow. But what, make Joe, what makes Joe Burrow such a good prospect is the fact that every single throw that he makes, it seems like, is on the money. And that is not the case with Jake Fromm. He is very wildly inaccurate depending on the pressure that is in his face within the pocket. And he kind of showed that at the combine as well. He really struggled with his accuracy at the combine, especially at throws down the field. Just did not look comfortable pushing the ball uh, down the sideline side and on those uh, deep routes on the corner, corner routes as well. Uh, so I, I don't think he'd be a good fit for the Bears just because of the fact that he doesn't have that arm strength to play in a windy, cold environment like Chicago late in the year. Uh, we already talked about his hand size in the last episode, which he measured under nine inches, which is going to be a red flag for a lot of teams. Um, and frankly, I, I think the Bears would be pretty crazy to draft either Jacob Eason or Jake Fromm in the second round. He, he just doesn't have that grade for me. To me, he would be ideally you know, a late third round, early fourth round type of player to be a guy that could develop into – maybe a low-end starter, but would probably be a long-time backup in the NFL. Um, I, I've heard some comparisons to Chase Daniel, you know, formerly of the Bears, so for Jake. Ouch. So, um, you know, I wouldn't – again, I think he's kind of like a lesser version of Alex Smith, but, you know, that's kind of what Chase Daniel is to a certain extent. Yeah, I would say that my comparison for Jake Fromm is – I think his ceiling is Teddy Bridgewater. Um, which that's that's not that's not a bad quarterback. That's a back end starter in the NFL. But if your ceiling is back end starter, that's not something I want to spend significant draft capital on. Yeah, definitely. I think he would be a guy that would be comfortable stepping in right away and from a mentality standpoint, uh, being able to play the position. You know, he could step in right away and you know not look terrible mm -hmm. as a starting quarterback in the NFL, but. Uh, if you want him to, if you're drafting him, expecting him to develop into something of a, you know, long-time franchise type of quarterback for you, I just, I don't see that with Fromm. And I think there are some people that are going to look at his college profile and say, you know, if he was able to win this many games in college and put up these type of numbers in college, he can do it in the NFL. And um, I just don't see that happening at this rate. Um, so before getting into what our strategies are going to be at the quarterback position um, in the NFL draft for the Bears, uh, we're going to take our second break of this show with another word from our sponsor. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. We just discussed some of the prospects that we'll be keeping our eye on in this draft class from our top five quarterbacks in the 2020 NFL draft to some of our sleepers and our overrated prospects in this class. So Alex, after breaking down all of these players so far, uh, when you look at the Bears' situation at quarterback and what will likely happen in the offseason period in free agency or the trade market, what would be your general strategy for the Bears in this upcoming draft towards addressing the quarterback position? Yeah, um, I would say first and foremost, I wouldn't want to spend a pick higher than the sixth round, ideally the seventh round, on a quarterback. Um, if we're drafting a quarterback here, I want it to be our quarterback three. I, I just, I need a more of, of a veteran who would be a capable backup to give Mitch Trubisky either 
put him on the bench or give him a, a shorter leash next season just to make sure we're not treading water and I don't want to be put in a position where we're subbing in Jalen Hurts as our starting quarterback in a, a year with an aging defense when we should be in the, the peak of our championship window. So I would like to either not draft a quarterback or take one in the sixth or seventh, um, go out and get a, a veteran backup like Andy Dalton, but definitely don't trade for him. Or um, if we're going to trade for a quarterback, I know I'd love Derek Carr to be the starter or for a backup, see if Josh Rosen is available for cheap, which I'd assume he would be. And that would be someone I'd be comfortable bringing back in giving him a, what is a third chance in an organization? Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned Rosen, you know, I, Rosen's kind of a tough evaluation because of all the crazy situations he's been so far in the NFL. He hasn't really ha gotten a fair shot at, you know, winning a job and being a long-term starter in an organization yet. Um, and that's very important, I think, for quarterbacks. They need that stability and they need to be in a situation for over a period of many years where they can get comfortable. And, you know, maybe the Bears taking a, a chance on trading for a guy like Josh Rosen – you know, I, I don't think it would cost the Bears anything more than maybe a sixth or seventh round pick if we're being, you know, honest here because, I mean, what has Rosen really proven in the NFL to where a team's going to look at him and say, I definitely want him to be, you know, our quarterback in the future. I, I just don't see that at this point. Yeah, no, I'd agree, I'd agree with you. I, I thought that the price tag for him would be uh, would be a fifth round pick, but I – yeah, I think he's cheap, and I think he – I mean, he was one of the best – one of the better quarterback prospects in his class. Obviously, he's fallen flat on his face, but I'm not opposed to bringing him in and giving him a shot. Yeah, definitely. I And I think the Bears, you know, this offseason, I think they're going to try and bring a veteran. It's been rumored quite a bit at the Combine that the Bears are heavily, you know, looking at a bunch of options here, whether it be Andy Dalton – whether it be a Derek Carr, if he becomes available. Um, you know, I, I've even seen some rumors that Nick Foles could be an option for the Bears, although, you know, the Bears would have to take on a first or second round pick, I would think, from the Jaguars in order to, you know, bring in, bring in Nick Foles because of that contract, which, you know, could make sense. Nick Foles, you know, he played with John Filippo with the Eagles the, the, and uh, the Jaguars this past season, so he has that relationship there. Um it's just a matter of whether the Bears would be willing to take on that contract, which is tough in and of itself. Um, you know, when I look at this draft, personally, I'm, I'm with you there. I wouldn't address the position until day three, but with a, a little bit of a caveat, and that's if one of the big four drops into the second round. And, you know, Burrow's going to go number one overall, you know, probably. Um, unless Tua, you know, the, the medicals come back and are just really negative. Uh, late in the draft process, you know, I think he's going to go in the top five. I don't, I don't think he gets past Miami. I think Miami is hell-bent on trading up for Tua. And if yeah. not, then he's probably going to be available for them at five anyway. Uh, so, and like I mentioned before, I think Herbert and Love are both going top ten. So I, I, I don't think it would be a realistic situation for uh, any of those guys being available for the Bears. But we've seen crazier things happen on draft night. So what I would like to see them do is – you know, if they can see a guy that they like in the fourth or fifth round, like a Jalen Hurts, and he falls that far, I wouldn't be opposed to that as well. But 
the prime spot that I'm looking for is a fifth or sixth round to add a quarterback. And that, that would be a good spot, I think, for a guy like Cole McDonald in the sixth round, uh, potentially. You know, Anthony Gordon's been a guy that a lot of Bears fans are excited for in this draft. I'm not really sure where he's going to go. You know, he could go from anywhere from the third round to the sixth round. It really depends on um, how high some of these teams are on him. But that's kind of, you know, I, I, I'm kind of in agreement with you. I prefer not to spend a high pick on a quarterback this year. There are some other needs that the Bears need to address first. But if they can get a developmental player late in this draft on day three, uh, I, I definitely think it would be worth spending a pick on because, you know, Ryan Pace in his initial press conference when he was hired as the general manager said that ideally he'd like to draft a quarterback every single year to keep on you know funneling talent in that into that position and he hasn't really done that whatsoever he, he traded up for Trubisky and that's been the only draft pick he spent on quarterback as a, as the general manager of the Bears so you know it's he, he hasn't really gone through with that promise uh, initial promise there and you know it's kind of really come back to the Bears, I think, because now they have no young talent behind Trubisky after he faltered as the starter, and now the Bears are in the situation they are in right now as we speak. So mm-hmm. I think getting another young player to develop would be something that would be very advantageous for the Bears if they can find a guy on day three. All right, I have a, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Would you rather have the Bears trade next year's the 2021 second round pick for Derek Carr or take on Nick's Nick Foles contract and get the Jaguars 42nd pick so their second round pick this year along with Nick Foles Hmm. that is a tough question Uh, I think there's a lot of moving variables there I think Derek Carr He's the better quarterback of the two, I think, obviously. And he's got a better contract in terms of the fact that he's locked in for these three years and you can get out of it at any time. Whereas if you trade for, you know, Nick Foles, you know, obviously you get the second round pick, which is nice, but you're locked in basically for this year with Nick Foles' contract, which I think would be, you know, since the Jaguars would be taking on his signing bonus, I think the cap hit would be around 16 million. So it would actually be, you know, around Andy Dalton's contract range, actually, if we're thinking about it. And the more that I think about it, actually, I, I personally, I would actually rather the Bears go with a Nick Foles in this situation because I feel like with the added second-round pick, you know, that gives them three picks in the second round then. And you're looking at a spot where now you have a lot of draft capital on day two of the draft in a draft where there's going to be a lot of talented players there. So they could be – you know, they could be in the situation to where they could wheel and deal a bit and, you know, pick up some additional draft capital or maybe trade up if a guy falls in the draft to where uh, they can get, you know, one of those speedster wide receivers if they end up falling in the draft, like a Jalen Rager, for example, or a K.J. Hamler if he's available mm-hmm. in the second round. So um, that's a, it's really tough because I think Derek Carr, he would solidify the position, I think, for three years. But, you know, the question I would bear is, you know, what's the ceiling there, and is he worth giving up a second-round pick? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you there. Um, I I would take the, the second and fulls, personally, even though I'm, as you know, we're both Derek Carr guys. But, yeah, I, I'd agree. I think picking up a second is something that I, I would be interested in doing. I think then we could 
trade down with one of our three seconds and perhaps build go down to a third this year and then pick up a a future pick in 2021 just because we kind of our cupboards getting a little low it'd be nice to fill it up and also we could easily go tackle cornerback and wide receiver in rounds two and three which that this that this is a great class to do that in and that'd be something I think would really put the Bears in a great position going forward. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, and even though, you know, Derek Carr would be an, a great option, I think, for the Bears, you know, trading for Derek Carr and giving up draft capital doesn't necessarily guarantee the Bears that they're going to be a, you know, Super Bowl contender, you know, going forward. It just means that they upgraded the quarterback position um, for the next few seasons. Um, you know, Nick Foles doesn't do that either, but at least with that added draft capital, you get more of a chance to upgrade the roster and add some young talent to kind of lengthen this window um, just a little bit longer, I think, um, which has kind of been, you know, I think a fear for most Bears fans is, you know, after this season and uh, 2021, you know, there's not a lot of draft capital that the Bears can uh, go to to address some needs. And uh, a lot of the contracts, you know, based, based on how they are structured, they kind of run out for the Bears after 2021. So, you know, getting some more talents in that second round, I think, would be a, a very good boot then to help add some more talent to the team that desperately – well, I wouldn't say desperately, but could definitely need – you know, could definitely use a little bit more young talent. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you there. And, uh, yeah, my, my biggest worry is the Bears don't, don't make enough moves this offseason and compete with a flawed team. And if we do that, and then I'd assume in 2021, if we don't bring in a veteran this year, we will have a, a first round draft pick taking over at quarterback, which essentially is a burned year. And that's two more years of aging to our core. And I don't know how many more prime years of Akeem Hicks and Khalil Mack and Kyle Fuller we have left. So that's something that I would like to really put the foot on the gas and give it a go these next two years. Yeah, definitely. And with the CBA uh, potentially rising the cap hit for 2020 and especially 2021, you know, the bears are in a position to where I think they can get a little bit more aggressive than usual for a team in their cap situation to go out and uh, get some impact free agents, you know, on the market, maybe not the top tier guys, but some guys that can make a legitimate difference on this roster uh, potentially for 2020 and beyond. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I'm really glad you posed that, you know, you brought up that question there because, you know, that's been something I've been thinking about over the past couple of days because, you know, if you're the Bears, you have to turn over every stone when it comes to upgrading this roster, particularly at the quarterback position. And, you know, if you can get some additional draft pick currency with the move, like bring in a Nick Foles, you know, it's definitely something to consider. So we've talked about quarterbacks, though, quite a bit here so far in this episode. We're going to tr transition to the running back position. But before we do that, we're going to take our final break of the show uh, with another word from our sponsor. And we're back here at Picks for Pace. We just had a long conversation about the quarterback position for the upcoming draft. And now we're going to be switching gears here to the running back position and some of the top players in this upcoming draft class at running back. Uh, it's very interesting, I think, Alex, you know, for you, who were your top five running backs and what are some of the traits that you were kind of looking for in some of these guys? Yeah, so um, 
before the combine, I had uh, DeAndre Swift as my number one running back because I think he's definitely the most complete back in the entire draft. I mean, he's he's a great pass catcher. He runs routes well, and he runs hard. He's big, physical, fast. But I had to, after seeing my guy, Jonathan Taylor, the workhorse, one of the best running backs in college football history, uh, run the fastest time at the day at uh, 4.39, which is even quicker than Saquon did at around the same weight. That's that's something that I couldn't ignore, and I I gave him the benefit of the doubt, and I bumped him up to RB1 for me, so I moved down uh, DeAndre Swift to number two. Definitely no uh, Wisconsin bias there, I'd hope. <laughs> oh, of, of course not. It's, it has nothing to do with the fact how many big games that man won for me. Nothing, <laughs> nothing to do with that. Completely uh, but, Yeah. Uh, then next up I have uh, J.K. Dobbins, who he's a, he's a home run hitter. Uh, I was disappointed that he didn't end up running the 40 because that is something I was really looking forward to seeing. Because I think he would have been right up there with Taylor, but you never know with some of these running backs because the style that they run in is pretty deceiving. Um, next up after that, well, I should I should say, I think there's a uh, – Taylor and Swift both have a chance to go in the back end of the first. I think Dobbins is a second-round pick. And after that, I think there's there's a little bit of a drop-off before my, my number four, who I have uh, – Cam Akers out of Florida State. Uh, I have a thing for Florida State running backs uh, after the Jameis Winston uh, halftime speech about um, uh, Delvin Cook, where he just kept yelling, we got the best running back in the whole damn league. And so Cam Akers, he went out there and he flew in the 40. Uh, I think he was one of about three or four running backs who ran below a – a three or a four four or sorry a four five forty he he was flying out there I think he was the third fastest for running backs and he's another physical guy out of Florida State so he was my number four there and then uh, out of LSU um, people really didn't talk about him much until came more uh, draft season and that's uh Clyde Edwards Hilaire uh, he's I mean he's a he's a champion he's a he's a hard runner I, I think he blocks well for a running back, which is something that there's not really a good way to measure it. But when I watched, I, I felt like he could be an every down back in the NFL, which is something that I value. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to preface this by saying that my top five is a bit different than your top five. Um, so like we, you mentioned, DeAndre Swift, he's my number one running back. He's the most complete back in this class. I have J.K. Dobbins at two, and then I actually have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as my number three running back. And for me, the difference between the top three is you know, mostly based on your scheme fit or just what you're tasting at, is at running back. You know, I don't really see there being a big drop-off between any three of these guys. I think all three uh, can create their own yards by themselves. And all are very good uh, receivers out of the backfield. You know, like you mentioned, Swift is the most complete guy. Uh, Dobbins, you know, he's not the most creative runner, but he's very good once he gets into space. He's a very good receiver, uh, you know, very hard to bring down. And then 
you know, Edwards Hilaire for me, he might be the most fun running back to watch in this draft class because I, I swear he never goes down on first contact. He is very, very tough to bring down. He's can juke you out of your shoes um, in space. You know, he's got that good contact balance. And he's a very, very nuanced route runner for a, for a running back out of the backfield. He really helped out Joe Burrow quite a bit when he was matched up against linebackers on some of those option routes over the middle of the field. Um, he's very, very good at setting those up. And uh, he's got pretty good hands as well. Uh, he's a very fun player for me to watch. Um, not too far behind them at all, really. You know, you can make an argument for me here that uh, Jonathan Taylor, who's my number four running back, could be just as close to that number one back for me as he is at number four here. But, you know, I, I love, like you mentioned, that four three nine forty was really impressive at the combine. I love his combination of power and speed. And the combination is, is unprecedented. So he's a really, really talented player. Um, a few concerns for me dropped him uh, down my board just a little bit. Uh, the fumbling is an issue for me. Uh, he had quite a bit at Wisconsin and uh, didn't really solve that over the course of his career. And my biggest fear for Taylor is that he's going to be a very scheme-specific player. He, he'll be a perfect fit for a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Tennessee Titans who really do value their power downhill running backs who you know, don't really ask them to do much in the receiving game. But for most other teams in the NFL who want their running backs to be able to maybe be a little bit more versatile and maybe run some routes out of the backfield or even split out wide a little bit, that's not really his strength. He's more of a pure downhill uh, jammed up in there type of running back who can break it open when he does get into space when you do block it very well. Um, and I just fear that he's going to get phased out if he goes to another NFL team that doesn't value his uh, downhill running style as much as they probably should. Um, at my number five, it was really close for me between Cam Akers and my eventual choice, which was Zach Moss out of Utah. And he reminds me a little bit of David Montgomery when he was coming out of Iowa State last season. Uh, when you think about it, he's a guy with great contact balance. He can juke out some guys in space a little bit here. Um, very good lateral quickness. And he's got a very refined receiving skill set, very good hands. He pretty much catches everything thrown his way. But the one knock against him is that, like David Montgomery, he doesn't have that breakaway speed in the open field. So, you know, when you block everything right and he gets to that second level, he's not going to take it all the way to the house. He's very much a guy who gets what's blocked for him and can create a little bit when, uh, you know, you don't block it as well within a phone booth. But he's not a guy that's going to take it to the house. He's not a home run threat. But he's just a very solid, grinded out type of running back who uh, can play all three downs for you as well. Yeah, um, I just wanted to chime in a little bit on your Jonathan Taylor um, stuff. I think his, his ceiling would be uh, Zeke. But we're already kind of seeing how Zeke, if the if the offense isn't going, he really he really has to get taken off the field in games. And I don't I think he's even worse of a pass catcher than Zeke is, even though he's a little quicker. And I think their running styles are similar and physical. But if it, if the offense isn't right for him, if his team doesn't have a good offensive line, then yeah, I think he he could end up floundering. And running backs are a little slow to get uh, second and third chances in the NFL, so he really has to make a count early and hopefully ends up in a good spot for him. Yeah, kind of like you alluded to, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Taylor, if he goes to the right situation, if he becomes the best running back and most productive in this class. Um, but it also wouldn't surprise me if he finds out early on and just 
never quite gets going in the NFL because he does have a lot of weight and tear already on his body from all those carries that he had in college. So he's he's the type of player that he's going to need to have success right away in the NFL because, you know, running back is one of those positions where you get you get a certain number of carries for a lot of these guys and then they just start to break down a little bit. And that's the one thing I fear for Taylor is he got so many touches in college. You know, he's going to have to have an, an impact right away. Otherwise, you know, it might not be worth spending a high draft pick on him in that sense. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. I think it, it's all about fit with him. Whereas the the other of the your top three, those guys I feel like could could really be a threat in any offense. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we, we talked about our top five a little bit. You know, it was tough for me personally to put it together because there are so many running backs that I like in this draft class. And I, I think it's – again, it comes down to the scheme and the type of team that you have built already. Uh, but in terms of some sleepers that you're looking out for in this class, Alex, uh, you know, who are some guys that you're looking out for? Yeah, um, I mean, I – there's a few guys I like. Uh, for example, you had Zach Moss on your top five. He's a guy I liked a lot. And But really for me, it's that there are about eight like above average good running back prospects. And I don't think eight running backs will get drafted in these first three rounds. So I think whatever whoever it is in that in that above average in that good tier that ends up going around the fourth round comp slot, you know, or even beginning at day three, that's, that's, that's who's really gonna be the best value out of these guys. Cause there are some, some good contributors on the board around here. Yeah. And we, and we know the NFL is kind of going towards that running back by committee type of approach for most NFL teams. So in the fourth and fifth round, that's kind of a prime sweet spot, I think, to pick up some of these running backs that can fill a role for you and kind of have a defined skill set on a team. But, you know, I when I was looking at sleepers in this draft, I kind of – I was able to get it down to one guy, and it's somebody who I don't think is getting talked about nearly enough, um, and that's Darius Anderson out of TCU. He's a guy that I've seen a lot of scouting reports have him as an undrafted type of talent, and – I'm sorry, they must be seeing something different than what I'm seeing on tape because I see a guy who could be a very quality contributor in the NFL um, in a running back committee or even as a primary running back in a running back by committee type of approach. You know, he was nicknamed Jet at TCU, and uh, he ran slower at the combine, you know, 4-6-140, which was definitely unexpected for me. I thought he would run much more in the 4-4s, which is what I saw when I was watching him on tape. Um, but when I look at Anderson as a player, he reminds me very much of Aaron Jones and the Green Bay Packers, which I think I've said this many times before, but he runs very hard. He runs downhill when he gets, uh, when he sees a hole open up for him. And he has that versatility and upside as a receiver to be a weapon on third down. So he's not just a one-dimensional type of running back or just a, you know, big play specialist. You know, he can do a bunch of different things for you. And I, I just have a feeling that he's going to be a guy that some team is going to pick him up in the sixth or seventh round. And in a couple more years here, we're, he's just going to explode on the scene for some team. And we're going to be saying, how did so many NFL teams miss on this guy? And that's the type of talent I think Anderson is. Yeah, no, I think um, a similar type of prospect is uh, Anthony McFarland out of Maryland. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who he 
he does have that breakaway speed. He he wasn't the best running back in the Big Ten, but enough to leave early, and I think he's going to go in the, the fifth or sixth round where uh, your guy Darius Anderson, I think he might end up in that similar range where, yeah, if they get put in an offense that gives them the opportunity that I really do think that they could they could kind of open some eyes and make an impact, and that's just kind of the the way it is with NFL running backs. Now you kind of got to stumble into a place that works for you, and then take advantage of the opportunity you get. Yeah, and, and you know I think that's probably a good chance to go to our transition to our overrated segment uh, for running backs because you know looking at your notes here, you know. You know, we were looking for overrated players in this class. I I couldn't personally name any because there are so many players that I like. And, you know, and that kind of feeds into, you know, what you just said of your general kind of opinion of running backs. You know, you know, when you're looking at overrating running backs, what do you like, what are you looking for in terms of, you know, a player that's overrated at that position? Yeah, um, I kind of laughed when I was doing these notes because I just wrote running backs. <laughs> because um, I I don't know I feel bad saying that especially as a Wisconsin fan where I just live for running backs but when it comes to drafting a player and also I should state I think uh, running backs are super important to an offense and we've we've seen that as Bears fans how having a good running back really does open up the game for you but also I just don't think they are worth spending a high draft pick on because one is you the, a lot of times you end up trying to put a, a square peg in a round hole you know if it's not a scheme fit and you think you could change your running back but usually you can't also I just think the the skill difference between a lot of these players isn't or a lot of these running backs isn't as large as you it is especially compared to other positions like a, a first round edge or a first round tackle versus a fifth round tackle those those are different universes where you compare uh Jonathan Taylor to Cam Akers which they could go a, a fifth round or first round and a fourth round pick there but they they are very close in talent level so that's something that I personally would avoid spending picks on I also think that running back by committee is something that team should strive for and really just subbing in and out personnel you don't need a a running back that has every tool and can stay on the field all game because they're getting it tired anyways so you might as well shuttle people in and out and have them do what they're best at at all times yeah and it was tough for me when I was trying to single down one player um who I would point out as kind of you know a guy that was be going to be overdrafted in this class but I just don't see that being the case. I think, you know, most NFL teams have kind of been – have more nuanced thinking uh, at this point to know that, you know, drafting a running back early on in the first round probably isn't the greatest idea unless you're looking for that luxury pick at running back. You know, I, I don't see any team being like the Giants, you know, of a couple of years ago where they picked Saquon Barkley second overall. Like, while none of these running backs are nearly as, you know, the prospect as Saquon Barkley – per se, but, you know, I think even though Saquon Barkley is an amazing player, it's tough for me to say that he was worth the second overall pick because, like you alluded to, you know, the, the difference between, you know, the top running back in a given draft class is usually not going to be that 
far different from a guy that's pick it, picked in the fourth or fifth round. Um, and, you know, there's, you know, it's the classic saying for a lot of ple- people, you know, around the NFL who kind of strive more towards those analytic models that running backs don't matter to an extent because, you know, the running game success there's, you know, the, the analytics show that it's based more upon, you know, scheme and offensive line play rather than the skill level of your running back. But I, I think running back talent is important. But like you said, I mean, as long as you aren't picking these guys early on in the first round um, and seeing them as game-changing talents, you know, just, you know, by themselves, then you're probably going to be fine there. Um, if, you, if you evaluate these guys properly, um, you should be able to get a good value, I think, in the middle to late rounds of this draft. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I, I don't think it would be too bad of a pick to take any of these running backs in the late first, early second, but that's just personally not what I do. But, yeah, the, the, the Saquon thing is an interesting uh, case study just because he was arguably the best draft prospect. But, you know, right after him goes Denzel Ward, Bradley Chubb, Quentin Nelson. And even quarterbacks those guys are making Darnold, yeah. Yeah, Sam Darnold. I mean, those guys are just making bigger impacts on the game than Saquon had. Yeah, it's it's, it's an interesting conversation to have, but that kind of goes into our overall strategy for the Bears in this draft and how they should approach running back. You know, personally, I'm, I'm very uh, along the lines of similar to quarterback. I don't think the Bears should be looking to address this position until day three, and, and more specifically, not until the sixth round at the earliest, just because I think there are going to be some, you know, other positions of need uh, that they'll have to address here in the second round and fourth and fifth rounds. But with that said, I think they still need to add some more depth and competition because while I like David Montgomery as that kind of bell cow, uh, do-it-all type of back that, like we've said, we, you know, the NFL is kind of shifting away from, I do like David Montgomery in that role. Uh, Tariq Cohen, he kind of has his thing going on where he's kind of lining up all over the field as kind of like, not a gadget player necessarily, but kind of that change of pace type of back. Um, we've mentioned it before in this podcast that Cordell Patterson be, could be seeing some uh, a bigger role as the number three running back, or at least competing for a spot as the number three running back, which could be very interesting uh, for sure. He definitely showed in his time in New England that he's capable of having an impact in that role. And then you also have Ryan Nall on the roster who, you know, he's fine, I guess, as a bottom of the roster practice squad player, but you know, if the Bears get injuries at that position with David Montgomery, especially if he goes down for a couple of games here and there, or, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully this doesn't happen, but if he goes down for an extended period of time, you know, who's that guy in the running back room that can take over that production and, you know, be able to be a guy that can get 15 to 20 touches in a game and make an impact for the Bears. I don't see that currently on the roster. It would have to be a purely a running back by committee, and hopefully we have better quarterback play to, you know, supplement that running game um, because there aren't many guys in this roster right now that can, you know, make things happen for themselves necessarily. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And uh, you're talking about Patterson getting some looks. I, that's my main thing is I personally wouldn't spend any draft picks on a running back unless one really drops to, to the seventh round. Um, but yeah, I would say bring in some, undrafted free agent running backs we've we've seen a lot of success 
of uh, undrafted running backs in the past five years. So that's someone that I would – or a couple of people I'd love to bring in and just let them compete. Uh, I have a very strong feeling Reggie Corbin, uh, Josh Kelly, and A.J. Dillon will likely all go undrafted, and I'm sure some other guys will as well. And just bring, call up two or three of them, have them compete, and have them really split that RB3, RB4 slot with Patterson and just see if you could uh, catch lightning in a bottle with uh, some of these – under-respected players that will will be available and just can get some carries or at least uh, contribute on the practice squad. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this. I'm a big fan of Reggie Corbin, so if he's available for the Bears, you know, he's a guy coming out of Illinois. He's kind of very similar to a Darius Henderson and kind of Tariq Cohn and, and that he's kind of that undersized uh, big play threat at running back, not necessarily a guy you want to uh, give too many carries to because he's not the biggest player in the world, but – um, as kind of a guy you can get, you know, a few touches here and there in space, he's very explosive in the open field. So if the Bears could get Corbin somehow, I'd, I'd be all for that. He's a, he's a very fun player to watch. Yeah, no, I, I like Corbin. I think he's a difference maker, and I've been, I've been surprised. I haven't seen any buzz with his name with the draft, but I guess you usually don't see much buzz about day three super seniors. But, I mean, he's, he, he could be a role player in the NFL, and I, I think he'll go undrafted. And, It'd be nice to see him stay in Illinois for a little longer. Yeah, definitely. And especially with Tariq Cohen, his contract coming up after 2020, you know, they're going to need, you know, that kind of hybrid running back receiver, undersized playmaker guy uh, to kind of take over for Tariq Cohen. And Corbin's a guy that I look at as a possible replacement in that regard if, you know, he's going to be available on day three or even, in, you know, in an undrafted uh, situation. Uh, so with that, that concludes our time here in this episode of Picks for Pace. It was a ton of fun getting to discuss all of these quarterbacks and running back prospects that could be available for the Bears in the 2020 NFL Draft. You know, we certainly hope a lot of these guys that we've discussed, especially in our top fives, you know, are, are certainly options for the Bears, you know, with the right draft pick. But, again, we'll have, just have to wait and see on that. There are definitely a lot of other positions that the Bears need to address. But – to Bears fans and draft enthusiasts alike, thank you for tuning in with us in this episode. We look forward to bringing you more of these position breakdowns as we approach the draft, which is quickly coming up upon us here in late April. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, uh, I look forward to catching back up with you, and we'll, we'll see where this draft takes us. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.